Drive into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Gone! Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. And welcome inside episode number 51 of Breaking Bats, presented by Not For Long Media. My name is Justin Ayers, uh, and I'm joined by Ryan Ribkin, who's uh, going to be helping us out here for the, a little bit here as, as Brian takes some time off to get ready to go play in Korea. Uh, Ryan, so we went from Brian to Ryan. I'm going to try to not make a Freudian slip here at any point and accidentally call you, Brian. So that's going to be my goal for the podcast, but how are you doing? I'm good. Well, if you do, then that'll be the end of this partnership. Uh, but, you know, it's... <laughs> You know, it's great to be back. You know, last time that we were on here was, I believe, it was opening round of the playoffs. So uh, it's, it's always a pleasure. I'm glad to fill in. Uh, I know Brian wish he could, but I hope that you guys can settle uh, in the meantime. Yeah, it's uh, right, because we we had you on for like a, a regular interview, and then we did like the World Series playoff talk with just you and I for a couple weeks there. Uh, fun fact is the the episode that like you came on the first time was like one of our highest rated ones to date. So uh, the people love Ryan Ripken, so I, I think I think the love I think the love is just all mutual here. So we're we're, we're all big fans of you. The people are big fans of you, and uh, we have a you and I episode this week. Uh, it's episode fifty one. It's the Ichiro Suzuki episode. So uh, Ichiro Suzuki, do you have a favorite Ichiro memory moment? What does anything stand out? Well, you know, is cool with Ichiro was actually it was my dad's final year that Ichiro mm. broke onto the scene, I believe it was 2001. And so got to be at Safeco for the All-Star game and to see it all about. And honestly, as, as a young kid, I was seven at the time. You're looking around, and, and I wasn't really familiar with, you know, some of the – I understood players come, coming from Latin countries, but coming from over overseas in Japan, and I'm thinking, man, who is this guy? And he's just lighting it up and just – the attention that he was getting on that on the all-star game weekend uh, was really cool. And and honestly, he's been one of my favorite players to watch, you know, so it's, it's awesome. And that was probably that. And actually after that game, uh, I got an Ichiro Suzuki signed Jersey. So that was one of the jerseys I had hanging in my room for years. So if that's, if that's the closest memory, but that, that was like what put Ichiro on the map for me. um, And that's something I won't forget. That's the coolest story. Like I had no idea. Like I was just like, oh, maybe you, maybe you'd say like when he robbed. Didn't he have like a home run robbery in the All Star game one year or something? Oh yeah. Was, I mean, well, yeah. He, he's well. Actually, he had the inside. Didn't, didn't he have the inside the park home run in San Francisco? Ichiro. Was that him? I know it's putting it on the spot, but I, I just yeah. love. I just loved all the antics. I think also the stories I loved hearing about him is that everyone talked about all the time of how. You know, he's a great hitter, obviously, coming coming onto the scene and how many 200-hit seasons he had. Ichiro, and everyone said, well, you know, he's not hitting as many home runs, but then you talk to people that would watch him take batting practice, and if he wanted to hit it out, the guy could. Like, he was yep. uh, he was a, a technician. And I think, like, these these stories, like the legend of Ichiro, uh, I think is 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 really cool. Um, and that's like, I guess what people are feeling about Otani being the international superstar now, you know, that was the feeling I had like each year. was that, that for me growing up 2007 all-star game inside the park home run by each Ah, so. there it is. So I, I wasn't too crazy. There it is. The, yeah. the mind's still working, Justin. So I might be retired, but you know, I'm in doing classes. So I guess got to get the brain working. I'm glad the memories haven't faded away from me yet. I don't have an Ichiro story as cool as that, but I just remember as a kid in the backyard, remember he do like the cool, like he'd grab like the front of his Jersey and tuck it up before he swung. Like I'll oh, be in yeah. the backyard backyard with like the wiffle ball bat when I was a little kid, just like trying to get a little, little on base juice by, by pulling the sleeve up there. So um, nothing, nothing quite as cool as, as the 2001 all-star game or the, or the signed Jersey and hanging in the Ryan Ripken bedroom. But that's all I got. Well, no, no, I don't think that's any cooler because like I, that was just for for my own experience. But you know, I think what's the most like flattering thing is what you're talking about is when people emulate what a player does. Like going to a backyard all the time. Like those are things. Like the other one I know is popular. Like people love doing the Gary Sheffield. The other one oh, that I, I saw that a ton was. Oh, but that's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a sign that that a player 
really caught your eye and, and, and Ichiro was those guys. So glad we got to talk a little Ichiro today. I'm glad I came on for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> episode 51, shout out. Um, yeah. So this week we have a lot of news, a lot of news like breaking today as we're taping this on Tuesday, the 10th, like, you know, I thought Ryan and I were going to, you know, talk about like, you know, some broader topics, maybe nothing as like pointed in the baseball world, but it was like lunchtime this afternoon. I had MLB network on the office TV. I'm like, Oh, we have, we have some news that we're going to talk about. Um, but before we get to the Carlos Correa saga, uh, this episode is brought to you by our friends over at Psalm sleep. Are you having trouble getting enough sleep at night? Uh, I know I do. Uh, the Psalm sleep has you covered though. The scientifically advanced Psalm snack has ingredients that are naturally found in your body, like GABA, magnesium, and melatonin. Sleep is the best form of recovery and it has helped people everywhere take their game to the next level. All you have to do is drink one serving 30 minutes before bed and your body will naturally calm itself down. Go to getsom.com, click shop and enter the code BATS, B-A-T-S at checkout for 10% off of your entire order of Psalm sleep. All right. The Carlos Correa saga, I think, well, I guess technically pending a physical, so it's not like official official, but as of today, he agreed to a six-year, $200 million deal with the Twins, uh, which would be his third team of the winter in 10% of Major League Baseball. So a little, wow. little fun fact there. It's <laughs> he's, agreed to, he's agreed to three. Yeah. It's now it's what, three times? Is that correct? Yep. It was uh, on December 14th. Uh, Correa and the Giants had a 13-year deal in place for $350 uh, million. It fell, it fell apart six days later. And then on December 14th, he agreed to a 13-year, $350 million deal, or I'm sorry, a 12-year, $350 million deal with the Mets. And then that was just kind of in limbo for almost a month because that was December 12th when that happened. Um, and we're all just like, well, what? Or I'm sorry, it's December 21st, so a little, you know, a little less than a month there. But yeah, it's it's been a long, arduous process trying to figure out what's going to happen with Carlos Correa. Um, but now I think we might have some finality to it. Did you? Does that shock you going back to? you know, going back to the well, going back to Minnesota for him? It's not shocking in the sense that that was probably the, the largest deal he was getting, you know, financially speaking. It was interesting. You know, I was on almost the, the 3 guys name. We just talked about this, like, the, before any of the news broke, where was the, the conversation of there, the, the Giants and Mets clearly were having – reservations and, and a 12 13 year contract is a lot of time to invest in a guy and so i thought what we saw here is that the twins have familiarity obviously they just saw him they had a year watching him plus they did clear him on a physical just in the last year and also then it probably came to the point where they're looking at could he is this the highest deal that he could get and and leave himself a, his family in a comfortable position. And I think that kind of checked both boxes, but think about that. A, a not less than, you know, in a month's time, a 12, 13 year commitment got cut in half. And over that he lost a hundred some million, but, but correct me if I'm wrong here, Justin, he can earn up to incentives in the contract up to 270 million. Does that sound about right? Yes. Yeah, so if a series of vesting options kicked in, I th- I'm pretty sure it's based off of plate appearances. So they're kind of banking on like, if you reach, I don't know what the plate appearances number is. I don't have that in front of me. It's like 500 or something uh, for a year. It's like, then you get more money and then more money. Basically, it's like a hedge. If like the like the right ankle that's like surgically been repaired and had like a plate installed in it, if that like creeps back into, you know, if that becomes a thing later on down the road, it's like, you know, they, they kind of have a way that they, you know, protect themselves there. But yeah, that's, that, that's a smart contract from the Twins. I just thought it was funny that like Correa opted out from this contract he could have stayed with the Twins. He he really put himself out there. He signed with two different teams that weren't the Twins. And then, you know, he goes back to the ex-girlfriend there after after mistreating them this whole offseason. And then it's just like, hey, guys, I'm back. It's, it's, like, a, it's, 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 a, it's a roller coaster ride that we're not used to hearing, you know. And But I will say this, and, and I and, and more about it, and I try to look at it from the team's perspective, right? You're going to be dishing out that type of money. When Correa going into it, yes, he signed a multi-year deal initially with the Twins, but everyone kind of had that feeling he was going to opt out because you want to test the market. And to his credit, he had the deals in place. Boris got him the deals in place, but the teams weren't comfortable. And why? Because Correa's value has been both not just his offensive ability, but his defensive ability. And the fact if he cannot be that same player for the longevity of the deal that's concerning to a team like the Giants and the Mets that were willing to pay, you know, the high end money and, and being some of the largest contracts in, in Major League Baseball history. So I think that's what we're seeing 
with Carlos Correa. I don't think that obviously the twins weren't too upset about it. I think they thought that, uh, or what it seemed to me was that the twins, if they were going to get into a high bidding war, they could not compete. And with the Mets and giants, they could not, but then when the price drops down low and they could offer that back to Correa, here it is. So I don't think there's any hard feelings with it, you know, but that just shows you just how, how quickly the business can change, you know, just like that. You brought up a good point, And I, MLB Network was talking a lot about this today, where it was like the the market size of Minnesota. They can't they can't compete with the the guys on the coast. They can't compete with the San Franciscos and the New Yorks in terms of like like waving a bunch of cash in front of a player, or, or really like I, I don't. It's they have to offer like a different set of things to a player, and they have to get a different kind of player. But yeah, I think they're loving this because they get a player of Carlos Correa's caliber. For I mean, I think he's making was it like thirty three something? It's like a little bit under Lindor. But yep. the other thing that you touched on too that I wanted to talk about was like his value is all, is like a lot of it's defensively. And like, I just think it would have been weird seeing him in third base doing the A-Rod situation in Queens. Like, I don't think that would have been the best use of his talents if he would have went to the Mets anyway. Yeah, you know, and listen, the Mets were going on. You know, Steve Cohen was was fully invested. And, and when you put a, a, another great player on the field, your team's going to get better. And, and Correa would have adjusted the third base, no doubt in my mind, but you're right. His value and what you've seen him bring to the shortstop position ha- has been tremendous so far in his career. But then again, like here's the kicker and, and, and that's where it gets caught up. I think Correa is going to play well this year, the next year, the following year. Like I'm not concerned with his ankle, but clearly when you're committing to, cause I, I forgot the age I had on Correa right now. But you're assigning them to a 12, 13, so he's, he's 28 right now. So the deal's going to, and I know no one's expecting him to play the level of 40. I know they're saying breaking down the average year. But think about that, that in a contract, you're hoping still in a, in a 12, 13-year deal that you're hoping you're going to get seven or eight solid productive years. And right now, they didn't feel, the Mets and Giants didn't feel they were going to get that. So, I think it's awesome for the twins. I think that they, they waited. They knew how much that they were willing to spend. And when the opportunity presented itself, Correa is back. And that makes the twins better. You know, I, obviously the, the twins fell off at the end of the season, but I think they're going to be right in the mix again this year in, in the AL central. That was actually the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Is that like, what is this? What, what does this mean from Minnesota's perspective? Because if you look at it on paper, I mean, they upgraded it slightly in some places, but like this is pretty much just this, the exact same 78 win team last year. I mean, granted, I looked it up. They spent 92 days in first place, but then you're right. They faded down the stretch. I mean, Correa played like 135 ish games this mm-hmm. past year. So maybe if you get 20 more out of them, that would be good. But like, I don't know how much better this team got. It's pretty much just the exact same collection of dudes. Yeah, it is, and but I, but I will say the AL Central to me is still not the division that is it's alien. You know, it's not like the NL West where you could see that there's going to be a a combination of teams that are really going to push to not only win the division but be the top team in in each league. You know, so you know, the White Sox are going to have the expectations. The Indians are a very young team, but can the Indians build off of the year that they had last year? It's, it's going to be a good question. The White Sox have a talent, but they're in this kind of new stage. You know, Jose Abreu leaves. What happens? So the division to me seems still up for grabs. So the Twins, if they're able to put things together, and again, they did collapse down the stretch. So whether you're saying that they didn't have enough or not, they just didn't play good baseball, but they were in it long enough to have the discussion of, well, the Minnesota Twins could do it. Now, can they just maintain it for a 162-game season? That's a good point. Uh, the only other point I had from this is that, like, should the Giants feel a little bit less bad? Because you remember when that first came out? It was like the day of his press conference when the jersey and the hat were going to be put on and everybody was going to be <laughs> loving Carlos Correa in San Francisco, and that's when it fell apart. We just all made fun of them, like, should, should, should the Giants feel a little bit less embarrassed that the Mets just did the exact same thing? Uh, maybe. You know, I, I think, <laughs> you know, I think embarrassed, it, 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 it could, I wouldn't say it's embarrassed, you know, because I think that was what the market was showing. You know, the price was getting driven up on him and and the Giants already, they, they struck out with Aaron Judge. Weird, bad pun intended. But, Aaron Judge, you know, went back to the Yankees and made sense. So the Giants were looking for that extra piece to get them the jolt. And then the Mets did the same thing. So 
I don't blame them for it. It, it I think it, above all, it just sucks. It sucks that you wanted a player so bad and you were willing to do that. But then when push came to shove, you didn't like the, what, what the investment looked long-term. So, yeah, you know, I don't think, I think both organizations are going to be fine. It just, uh, but, but the team that looks good where this is just, they poke their head back out as the twins. I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking <laughs> no way he's going back there just because of how much money he's going to make. But I think that's the beauty of it. And it's a reminder with everything in life, right? You never know what's going to happen. And prime example, Correa back as a twin was the was the option that I really didn't see coming. Uh, that's a good point. Maybe if you're the Giants and you're the Mets, you could take the high road and hang your hat on the fact that like you you come out, maybe you come out looking good. Maybe if we're doing the spin zone, it's like we dodged a bullet here, fellas. Like I, I remember the Orioles did that a couple of times. Uh like deep in my heyday, like the mid 2010s where it was like, Hey, we signed Grant Balfour. It's like, yes. And then it's like, well, the medicals came back and it didn't really, it didn't really look so good. And it's like, Oh, we signed like Tyler Colvin. It's like, yes. So well, the medicals too. So it's like, but those guys, we came out on the, on the, 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 you know, the good side of history for those guys too. So it's like, I think again, all roads can just kind of just lead back to the Orioles is a theme of this conversation too. Uh, Yeah. Always leads back to it, but I will say this. I mean, I mean, tell me what you think. Do you think the Mets, Specifically, because you know the Giants, to me, they're going to have uh, some tough sledding out there, and I know the AL or the NL East is just as competitive. But you know the Mets, if the Mets go and win with with the staff that they have and the team that they have, you know people are going to. Wouldn't you agree that people are not going to worry too much as long as the Mets get over the hump and try to get to the World Series? It doesn't matter. It will matter though if Korea has a big year with the Twins. Yes. And I think also Steve Cohen could probably not. There's, I found a quote from December 21st where he said, quote, uh, about the Carlos Correa signing. This really makes a big difference. I felt like our pitching was in good shape. We just needed one more hitter. This puts us over the top. Um, that was before they agreed to the contract. So maybe he could maybe not comment on deals that aren't finalized. But also if you're in the Mets locker room right now and you're like, do we, you're looking around like, do we really need another hitter? It was it Eduardo Escobar, the third baseman that was going to get bumped into super utility is probably just like, Bullet dodged for now. Yes. For now. So it'll be interesting. There's a lot of expectations with New York, but but the biggest thing is, as we know, winning cures a lot. So if if the Mets can go out there and win, they're not going to feel bad. The Giants are the team, though, to me, where it felt more desperate because their roster, it's going to take a lot for for the Giants to try to push past the Padres and the Dodgers. It's a great point. Uh, speaking of all roads lead to the Orioles, the next thing I had was this is this news story is maybe th- two, three weeks old, but we haven't actually talked about it on the podcast yet. It's about friend of the podcast, Adam Frazier, signed a one-year $8 million deal with the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, he figures to be primary second baseman by all accounts, or if mm-hmm. not, like at least like a high-usage utility player because he can play, like he plays short, he plays the corner outfield. Um, he had a down year in, in 2022. Uh, the the Frazier of Pittsburgh there was, was an all-star, so... Um, but what did you think about the, the fit? I mean, it's like, I feel like a lot of Orioles fans on Twitter, especially were just kind of like, is this our big move? But like you and I were talking about a while ago, where it's like, yeah, this guy was an all-star just like two years ago. So pump the it, it, exactly. I mean, the thing is, I, I think the bigger theme for teams, it's the sexy move is signing the big names. It makes you feel good in the initial moment that we're, that you're moving forward. Right. Mm-hmm. But just because you're not signing the big names doesn't mean that your team's getting incrementally better. And the Orioles are have made moves to get better. And Adam Frazier is one of those moves that overall makes the team better. He's been around the game and, and he's not, he's 2021. He was an all-star, right? So mm-hmm. he's not far removed from, from being an all-star. And that matters like that, that extremely matters for uh, the ability that he can bounce back. And, and also to, you know, I, I saw in the past when Adam Jones talked about, you know, having the ability of having versatility of what Ryan Flaherty brought to the team and and that confidence. When you have a guy like Adam Frazier that can play multiple positions, that alleviates a lot more issues. And I know that the Orioles have some young players that are capable of filling the shoes, but it helps when you have a guy like Adam Frazier that's been there, that's done that, and you can count on to be dependable, especially when these games you hope for the Orioles are going to continue to matter more and more. I, I love the move. It's not a move that everyone likes, but I think it definitely made the Orioles better. And I mean, I think that we're, we're both in agreement on that. 
it's funny too because I think he might even talked about where it's like he might be like the the oldest person on the team, or if he's not the oldest, I think he might be like the second oldest, and he's only thirty one. But 31 I think years he just bring. Yeah, we're calling it. Yeah, we're putting him out to pasture, and he's just like a, the grandfather of the team apparently at thirty one. But um, he, he just brings that like veteran presence and a little postseason experience too. I mean, this is a guy. If you look at the AL Wild Card series from last year, had that game winning hit uh, against Toronto. So it's like he, he brings so much in terms of like locker room presence all the intangibles that you want out of a guy. And for like a year, eight mil, that's like the best, like that's probably one of my favorite, most under the radar, under the radar moves of the off season was, was them bringing him in to be, you know, just like, it's like when the Orioles brought Nelly Cruz in for one year, eight mil, this is the same kind of thing. Oh yeah. And I mean, honestly, this is the other thing I look at, look at the, the longevity of him being able and his availability in the season last, that last year he played 156 games. In, in 2021, he played 155. So you're seeing, like, that matters. Durability matters, especially for, for teams. It's a long year. And the other part of it, too, you know, and this helps especially with the, the changes to the shift, Adam Frazier does not strike out a ton. So he's able to put the ball in play, make things happen. You know, looking at the numbers right now in 2022, he only had 73 strikeouts in 541 at-bats. So he's putting the ball in play. And I know sometimes people might say, well, it does that matter. I'll tell you what, especially with the shift changing, that does matter. It's going to give you an opportunity. He, he knows what role he's going to fill. And I think that's something in the past with each team, you need to have players understand their role. And I think Adam Frazier understands what his role can be to help this team. And you know what this move also does? It gives the Orioles infield. It's like an embarrassment of riches in terms of like, Ramon Arias, who won the gold glove at third base this year, he's probably going to get bumped into super utility with Gunnar Henderson shifting over to third, Mateo at short, Frazier at second. It's like, that's not a bad thing to have a guy that has no. like 15 homer pop and a gold glove to be like, you know, if somebody gets hurt, he's just like, he could step right in. It, or it's like the DH and you can you know, cycle guys in and out. It's like, it's a good problem to have when your team is like, no, nobody's ever like, dang it, we have too many good players on this team. <laughs> yeah, no, no one will ever complain about, about about having good talent or good pieces around you. And if you look at it, most cases in a season, depth depth is going to be the big reason. We always see it, and more so it comes out in pitching, right? Because that's why you look at, at, at teams' farm systems and look at what they have where you have to go through so many arms. I mean, but it gets overlooked how that matters for – having guys you can count on a consistent basis. I mean, that's why the, the Orioles went and got McCann to back up Adley. They're going to give him uh, – they're both going to probably play a little bit of first base, but it also gives you the flexibility, and you're adding a player that also is, is, a, is a solid major league catcher. So that allows you more flexibility, and if you have more flexibility, it's going to allow your, your team and lineup to withstand uh, – injuries and withstand tough times. So I think when people look at it that way, it really is a positive what the Orioles are doing. It really is. And it's going to be so much fun to watch them this year. And I'm glad they're bringing in a little bit, a little mix of veteran talent to, to mix in there with the young guys. Cause I think that's what you need. You can't, you can't just all have a team of guys that are like 25. You do need to kind of have that, that veteran leadership presence. Um, but so Frazier is a Nashville guy. And this is a great segue because the Nashville MLB team made news this week or the potential of having a Nashville MLB team where the Nashville, there's a group of like investors and advisors. They, they want to bring a team to Nashville and they, they added Don Mattingly, the former, you know, Yankee great Miami Marlins manager. Most recently um, they added him to like an advisory board that already had Dave Stewart, legendary pitcher, former D-backs GM. Um, this is really interesting. I think this made news. Maybe I want to say a year ago in terms of like mm -hmm. Rob Manfred said, we want to bring, 32 teams in major league baseball. We're at 30 right now. So we're gonna have to add two somewhere. Um, and it's like the Nashville stars are, they're trying to become a thing. I mm -hmm. think that's a great, like, first of all, like that idea of expanding to 32 teams is great. It's more fans. It's more excitement. But what do you think about Nashville? That seems like a great sports city. Well, what I think about Nashville in general, Nashville is a lot of fun. If you haven't been to Nashville, I really suggest you put it on, on your list of places to go visit because you'll have a fantastic time. Might have too much fun um, sometimes, so maybe you have to, to, to hone it back. But, yeah, it's it's awesome. You know, they have the Titans already there. They have the Predators, the hockey team. So it's really great. And and we always seen, you know, and Justin, we've talked about this before, you know, 
with with Baltimore, for instance, you always talk about like it's people love the Ravens, they love the Orioles, but you're missing that that third team in the area. And yes, you have the teams in DC, but it doesn't carry the same weight. Nashville has that feel. You add the other team, and it just even brings more of an electricity to to that region and city. And and Nashville is a perfect destination. Who wouldn't want to go down there? Yeah, it's the Titans are getting a brand new stadium at some point too. So it's like there's a lot of money to be had in the market size, and it's it, it can accommodate. I feel like um, I if we were to add Nashville as the 31st team, what other city would you want to have as the 32nd team? You know, people are probably going to push for Vegas. You know, I I think that that's just kind of where the sports world's moving. You look at you know uh, the Raiders move there. They added a the women's basketball team, the Aces there. You know, you get a hockey. sense that hockey that's how the Golden Knights first year there. They brought excitement, almost going. To, they went to the Stanley Cup and and fell to the. It was the year the Caps won, right? Yep. Good times, good times. If you're a Caps fan. But right, so that that'd be my vote. What about you? Do you have another one outside of Vegas? I do. Um, so I remember I wasn't really like a baseball fan when the Montreal Expos were a franchise. I really started watching them in 05 when they became the Nats. But mm-hmm. I did see the exhibition games that the Blue Jays would always have up at Olympic Stadium in Montreal. In 2017, they had 43,000 people there. I think it was a two or three game set. That place was buzzing. I feel like that's another market that Major League Baseball could tap into where they already had like a sports fan base that you can just already tap into. It's like people in Montreal like baseball. Granted, they're probably older by now, but I think that would be another way to kind of grow the game internationally. You know, French, Canadian, Montreal, whole new fan base there. I think that would be, if we maybe get them a new stadium, because I did hear Olympic Stadium is a dump, but. Yeah, it's a little outdated. It's yeah. A little outdated. If, if we get them something new though, I think Montreal will be a fun one. I like your thought. I'm curious if the if the MLB would consider going back to a place that that a team moved from. But to your point, I like the idea of the international game, and and I think what what makes an idea like that ex- ex- extremely plausible is because MLB is trying to about making the game more, you know, more global, more, getting more mm-hmm. interest. And even if it is just going right over, you know, the border up to Canada, that would be amazing to have two teams because I do feel that the the whole country gets behind Toronto. It's the only team that they have. So it definitely would – that's something – I see your thought process, Justin. I like that. You're making me think even more about this. Well, Bring done. it back to Montreal and bring back those cool uniforms for the first – I don't know how many years of my life I thought the, the logo, the M, said ELB. I thought it said ELB. I think most people <laughs> did that too. <laughs> the, I'll tell you what, I love those Expos unis. I was a big fan, and I am all on board to bring those back. <laughs> it would be so much fun. Um, the other cities that were like tossed around this, I think this is a year old, so this isn't like breaking news, but it was like Charlotte, North Carolina, Montreal, Nashville, uh, Portland, Oregon, and Vegas were the other ones that were like being tossed around in terms of a major league ex- expansion team. Um, I think all of them would be fine. Mm-hmm. Charlotte would be interesting because all they have the Hornets and the Panthers already there. Yep. Charlotte's a great city, so I wouldn't hate that. But yeah, also a great city. And I know though that Charlotte would have to expand their actual stadium. It, it'd have to be built up, and they'd have to make a little bit more space as far as I think there's a certain radius for where the stadium's set. They'd have to clear more ground because I think certain MLB stadiums have to have a uh, a certain amount of coverage. You know, like. Uh, mile wise in order to to put it there but location down there you kidding me people would really gravitate towards a major league team in charlotte but again another city that's that's a lot of a lot of fun to explore go down to charlotte i I promise you'll have a good time it's always been a great time when i go down there to watch panthers games so um it's uh that's a fun that's a fun one to think about i like the idea of expansion it gets the people excited about baseball again um which you know that's never a bad thing well, that's the goal, right? Is that you? The whole the whole purpose of it is it's an entertainment. It's it, it's an entertainment industry, even though it's a sport. And what are more ways to get the sport buzzing? And that's that's it. And look at us right now. We're we're my mind is whirling over these places, you know. So imagine nothing, it, the more and more more and more people get behind that. If nothing else, you can just go to to like Dick Sporting Goods and buy the hats and the gear and stuff. So like that that's would be <laughs> that would get me excited about a new team. Even if I like, I think most people did that with like the Las Vegas Golden Knights, where they're like, "Yeah, I'm not really a hockey fan, but I'll buy the sweater." So, could we just oh, yeah, yeah. just tap into that market of people? 
Just tap it in. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So January is also in terms of baseball. Like if we don't have groundbreaking Carlos Correa news, the other news that's always about is like the hall of fame elections coming up. And I have uh, a very simple question about the hall of fame. Is it, has the ballot in the process, has it lost its luster? Do you think in recent years, last year, only David Ortiz 2021, they just didn't elect anybody. So I think, I, I mean, I personally have kind of like fallen out of love with like the whole balloting process, but I'm curious if you have as well. You know, it, it's such an interesting situation now because it feels like it's a flawed process, but also I don't have an example right now to say this is what we should do. And maybe because it's more on the spot and I'm thinking, oh no, you know, where's my brain going with this? But here's what I'll say what I think with the voters and everyone's wrestling with it's it's the whole dynamics between steroid era post pre and what and how do you value those guys getting in like those are the biggest names of what's going on with guys on the ballots right now and you have people that stand firm on one side or the other and in most cases though they are standing against the steroid era so you're seeing some of the big names or iconic in the you know early 2000s or early to mid 2000s that aren't getting in so I look, but here's the slippery slope though. As soon as one of those guys gets in from the steroid era that was, was knowingly taking steroids and you do that, then you're going to open up this whole can of worms where, how are you going to then evaluate? So like I said, it'd be interesting to say, well, Hey, you know, you change the, the voting process, but you're still going to be left with the problem of how do you, how do you reconcile, uh, the the steroid era i don't know i mean I what think, do you i mean you definitely have I, I can feel it i know you have a strong opinion about this i i'm just tired of like the whole process itself with like the writers having like this power where they just kept bonds and clemens off like if you're to do the thing where it's like we don't want them to be elected in the first ballot which i think somebody tried to do that for one guy tried to do that for Derek jeter um not related to steroids but they just some people just don't think that they should be a first ballot anybody um so there's like people that just have these wild like fringe voting groups of the the BBWAA people, but the fact that we didn't put them in Bonds and Clemens in, in ten different ballots, and then they had the what is it called the the Contemporary Era Committee got together and we're like okay surely they're gonna like all right guys you didn't get elected via like the right end like the votes you can get elected this way and then they're like still no and I think a lot of people are just like okay well what what's it gonna take what what are you guys what are you guys even doing. So yeah. it's it's frustrating for fans' perspective who just want to see the best pitcher and the best hitter of all time in, in a stupid museum. <laughs> I, I think that, I think that's where it is. It's, it's it's that frustration that builds. And you know, like in a different case, like I love the fact of, of players evaluating. So like when when Harold Baines got added in, you know, and and people were saying, and I know writers have a different opinion, but hearing guys around the game for a while would say. You know, Bainesy deserved to be in the Hall of Fame, and whether you not you don't like it or not, they have different ways of measuring things besides just always the metrics of stats. And I know that stats are one of the biggest reasons of why you're in. Whether you're doing it by WAR, you're doing it by average. You know, all, all the offensive categories as well and defensive. But you know, there's something about also being able to sustain and play for a while. And like Harold, Harold Baines, for instance, played for 22 years. You know, and and those are things that you don't see in the game like people understand how hard that is but you're right the, the system definitely is is flawed i also that's the thing that's crazy to me was like mariano rivera got the, the unanimous one right that's the that's the only one to date but then you're telling me you look at guys like ken griffey jr you know even Derek cheater that sense but like ken griffey to me was the player growing up where i'm like there's no way he shouldn't be and i also think that ichiro suzuki when the time comes episode for him he's a guy when you look at the eye test there's no reason to me why he shouldn't be just because he only played x amount of years in the major leagues and he still is one of the best hitters ever like there, there should be no reason why and i think that's what the frustrating part is whether you feel that guys shouldn't be unanimous or not like come on it's possible if you think a guy's a generational talent and proved it for x amount of time he should be in and it shouldn't take more than one vote to get him in 
<laughs> Sorry, you got you got me going on that now. No, it's, it's it should get everybody fired up because you it's funny because you look at like some of the best baseball players of all time and it's like their percentage was like night like Tom Seaver was like ninety eight point something. I'm like, who, who didn't put Tom Seaver on their ballot? It's just these people have their own crazy ideas of who should and shouldn't make it, um, which always frustrates me. But like, if you look at this year's ballot, so like Ryan Thibodeau has like the the Hall of Fame ballot tracker, which I look at as a little mm-hmm. Excel Google sheet. Um, yeah. We only have two people tracking so far to get in, and that's Scott Rowland and Todd Helton. There's only 35% of the vote in, so it's like, as with most elections, with 35% of the vote, a lot would change. Um, but I don't know. I, I Helton's just barely clinging on, and I didn't really think that he was – like his peak was like six years there in Colorado, so I'm not – I probably wouldn't put Todd Helton in, but right. I mean, if our, if our one saving grace this year is going to be Scott Rowland, it's just pretty – it's a down year. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. So, like, I'll actually, Justin, I'll, I'll run you through a list real quick. You know, it's just of, of names, the guys that didn't, because there's only one that got unanimous, but real quick. All right, so let's start again with looking at Hall of Famers. I, I already talked about Ken Griffey. So, Nolan Ryan, first ballot? Did he not make it in the first ballot? No, he did. I'm sorry. Let me request. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, like, let's let's just say, yeah, oh, or nay, like, percentage. why should percentage should he should it have been unanimous like this is what's crazy to me like nolan ryan yeah i mean that probably should be 100 percent, right right and he's not you know you go through hank aaron tony gwynn randy johnson you know uh, a guy named cal ripkin jr which i i probably wouldn't vote that one but the other guys <laughs> the other guys right i think incorrect and, and this is i think the eye test that i'm trying to explain and all those players that I mentioned, what's what's the reaction that you get, Justin, when you actually like, when you watch when when you watch them either on videos or or look them up? Like, what what is your reaction? The best of all time at their position in some cases, like the best of their generation, just like the best. And yeah, if if those people like, I know they weren't unanimous, and I just would love to know like the six people that were like, actually, we're we're good. We're not going to put them on yeah, this. So I guess I think that's where the argument comes in is when the when when the fan watches or other players watch and you can identify of going this player is just different and then he also has really good stats to to line up and injuries are going to happen right and that will that will like Ken Griffey Jr. bringing him back up again but like that was something Griffey was on pace to be the home run king he was on pace to be arguably like the greatest player hitter of all time like that's how great he was and injury slowed him down but i think that's the thing you you prove my point you're watching and that's where i think fans get frustrated is that the eye test shows that they left those players left such a lasting impression with their play that was so spectacular why wouldn't they be first ballot hall of famers or sorry hunt unanimous hall of famers because those guys were first ballot but you know what i mean yeah i mean like yeah, I'm looking at the like Vlad Vlad Senior was he had to get two he wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer he got elected on the second time but it's like uh, maybe maybe the way to fix it is too where it's like they only have ten people you can put on your ballot and in some of these years like I know that there is like you could you could fill ten plus you could probably put fifteen guys on your ballot maybe that's just like a simple fix why is it just limited to ten I think the football Hall of Fame might be less than that too isn't yeah. it? I think the Pro Football Hall of Fame is like you put like four people on your ballot or something it's way more uh exclusive on that sense you know it's, it's it, it, they you know the whole process is way different than than with the uh the hall of fame for baseball no doubt but it's, it's like i'm even looking at this right now like pedro martinez you know got 91 percent of the vote i believe i'm looking it up again right here yeah pedro martinez 91 percent the guy won three Cy Youngs, finished in the top three of Cy Youngs three other years. He's an eight-time All-Star. You know, I, he won the ERA title five times. You know, and 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 again, that the, the, the here's the fan image here. Boston, All-Star game. Pedro's on the mound. And that was one of the most electric moments. And again, like it's an all-star game. It doesn't matter in the sense for stats, but that's what we're talking about. You're going prime Pedro like that. Don't we, we that, that only comes or all comes along once in a generation. So 
I'll stop talking now, but you know where I you, now you got me fired. I blame you, Justin. It's this is, well, I, 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 this is like the if if we didn't have Carlos Correa news, this would probably be a larger portion of the show where it's like, yeah, this is like a lot of what baseball in January is about is like people arguing on MLB Network about the Hall of Fame as for good reason, because there's a lot of things that make me mad about it. And there's a lot of things that we need to clean up in terms of voting and, and who gets in and who doesn't. So um, I do like the fact that some of the steroid era guys are creeping up there where it's like A-Rod and, and Manny Ramirez and like some of these guys' vote totals are creeping up to like that 50%-ish mark where you just know that like if we're at 50, we're pretty close to 75. So maybe start banging the drum here for A-Rod here soon. But um, yeah, that's that, that's that was our little, uh, little Hall of Fame. The MLB Network does like the round table. We'll just have like the... I don't know. We need we need to find a t- some sort of table, and then we'll just have another discussion about it. Oh yeah, that, that works for me. But yeah, it's <laughs> you're right. This January time that that's that's usually what it is because it's it's a lot of downtime. And I'm a guy that doesn't like to to speculate on on a lot of moves. So I'm glad we had a couple moves to talk about, and you know, getting getting the uh, the nostalgia of me looking. I actually enjoyed looking at some of the old players. Um, it brought me down memory lane. And uh, and brought back a little passion that I didn't know that uh, that well I did know but it's it's in there. Baseball Reference is just like one of the best websites in general. You can just go look at like Tony Gwynn's statistics and how he struck out like 15 times a year for 20 years, and then it's just you can just be wowed by Barry Bonds's on base percentage too. Like there's things you can just look at and be like, that's sweet. That's you can talk about going down a rabbit hole. I know a lot of people go down TikTok for a while and all this stuff, and I don't blame them. There's a lot of stimulation with TikTok. You want to go throughout, go down a real rabbit hole of all these stats, you're going to get blown away, and, and it's going to be endless because there's so many out there with all the guys that played. Um, yeah, maybe that could be a new know. hobby for people. I, I'd recommend it. A baseball reference rabbit hole where you click on like a player, then you click on like the year of like the team, and you can kind of scroll down. Yeah, I do that hour a day maybe <laughs> oh you're already in it you're already i'm, you're already I'm way ahead yes for for baseball nerds it is that is our youtube tiktok rabbit hole so um a lot a lot of fun stuff to be had on and that's how we do the thing every week where it's like pick a jersey number and we can list off people based off of that and they have every person's jersey number and then the player who wore them based on war so like number 51 war is like randy johnson i think was number one I didn't wear 51 the entire time, which is like, I didn't, why can't just flip flop. You know what? What was shame on players for wanting to change their numbers? Why would they do that? My number, you know, (laughs) but mine was, so in high school, I was 17. Uh, When I played travel ball Uh, growing up too, I was, I, I, I did eight when I was a little kid. Then I said, you know what? I'll let my other family member keep that. Then I was 18. (laughs) And because I wanted to keep the eight in there, but then it was 17. And honestly, getting into the pro ball, whatever, whatever Jersey was one of the largest ones that felt comfortable. I think I, I remember in Aberdeen, I was given 58 and I was actually given 58. It wasn't, I didn't pick it. It was just, that was the one that really kind of fit well. And after a game, one of the fans came up to me and said, oh, hey, you know, uh, can I guess why you picked 58? And before I was going to say, you know, hey, there's no relevancy to that. I said, sure. You know, out of curiosity, what do you think? And he goes, "Okay, well, you know, five Brooks Robinson was a big and it it was very well thought out, though. But he goes five Brooks Robinson, uh, you know, Oriole legend, you know, you know, your family thinks highly of him, you know, eight, you know, it's already explained representing your dad, but then it goes, and then eight minus five is three and three was your uncle's number. And so that's why you chose 58. And I go, wow, like you nailed it. And he goes, really? And I said, unfortunately not. But I said, that was the best, one of the best uh, descriptions I've ever heard. And I think I, I signed a couple things for him. Um, but I'm just rambling right now again, but again, I wasn't as picky on that. I just, I was so proud to just have a Jersey. And I think as you get older, the the number might mean more when you kind of prove it, but like, what's cool right now, you see that the Orioles a lot of like high number guys. And, you know, I had Spencer Watkins on with the interview, you know, Spencer didn't care what number he got, you know, it was the opportunity and and being out there on the field. That's all that matters. And, and I think a lot of those guys, uh, you know, share that sentiment. 
That's that's a great story too. Yeah, it's it's like wow, this really must have been a well thought out, you know, not like decision, you know, carefully crafted. It's like no, literally, it's just like they had a double XL back there, and that was the only one. <laughs> well, so like, and they were, I, I know they were waiting to tell me that for a couple of games, and and I felt bad them being like, you're right, then like, nope, sorry, you're wrong. Uh, but I did appreciate the thought because, of course, I care about my family and Brooksy. You know, being from Baltimore. You know, how can you not love Brooks Robinson? That guy, talk about like a true legend of Baltimore. That guy, that guy embodies it on and off the field. I, I also just love how like when I played high school baseball, it was like the jersey numbers got bigger the higher the number was. So it was like if you know <laughs> the larger kids on the team had to wear like 20. But like I I remember the one year I played, I was like a senior and they're like, all right, you get first pick of your ba- of your jersey number. And I, I, I was going through a phase where I watched an intentional talk every day and I really love Kevin. I still love Kevin Moore and he's yeah. the real one five. And right. so I go in there and I was like the first, like the first or second person to go in the Jersey room to pick mine out. And I'm like, I want number 15. I didn't look how big it was. And like, not knowing that, like I just grabbed a double XL. So for the rest of the season, like my arms look like, look like toothpicks in the little <laughs> Jersey sleeves because that Jersey was made for somebody six, five, two eighty or something. <laughs> well, that's what you are, right? It's about the yeah. same. Yeah, I, I think I was I think it was five seven one thirty, and I, I swam in that thing. But you know what? That's what Ke- Kevin Millar would some if he's somewhere out there, he's just like he's appreciating that I picked the real one five just for well, him. H- hell yeah! So I mean, so that, was that is that your would that be your number of choice? And it was and it was Millar, and that's awesome. I that's I still great. like fifteen. That if I like, you know, in another life or on MLB the show, like you know, road to the show, I'm I'm still fifteen. So. um I, Orioles legend Kevin Moore again. Another Orioles legend. He might it not consider himself, he might not consider them more with the Orioles, but we we definitely we definitely do here. Um, I will say actually the numbers that I actually that I used a lot and outside was I used thirty five for basketball and five. Can't tell you why. Oh, and it wasn't well, thirty five. You know, five plus three. Yeah, five plus three eight. And again. Now that I hate that I said that out loud, I promise people that's not why I chose it. It really isn't. I uh, I just really like the number five and then thirty five. So don't hold that against me. But it's fun. Uh, I miss I miss being being a kid in those stories. It's fun hearing those things. It is. Yeah, that's that was a fun little aside there. Um, all right, we have two we have two last things for you guys. Uh, our top five for this week. Uh, so. We're going to be starting fresh. We're going to clear the record books because I think every time Brian and I would do this, he would beat me in terms of like the fan voting thing on, on Instagram stories. So every Friday, vote on our Instagram story poll because it'll be Justin versus Ryan this time. Uh, and maybe I can redeem myself. I don't know. But that being said, our top five for this week is going to be the top five best free agent contracts of all time. Uh, and these are not like players who are with a team and then re-signed. It's literally like new starting fresh free agent contracts. Um, I'll start us off as per tradition going five through one, my number five, it's going to be Nelson Cruz, 2014. That was that one year, $8 million deal with the Orioles. His numbers from that year were insane. If you remember this, he signed super late. It was a Dan Duquette special scooped him up in like March, I think, because nobody wanted him because the steroid stuff, 159 games, 40 bombs, 108 ribs. He was an all-star consistent thump on the 2014 birds that had a bunch of injuries. So, um, that's my number five holds a special place in my heart. Number four, it's going to be Greg Maddox with the Braves. Uh, in his five seasons in that contract, he had three Cy Youngs, five above average seasons. He won a World Series and a pennant. Uh, and, you know, averaged 7.8 war per year. So Greg Maddox. And then number three, it's going to be Manny Ramirez's contract with the Red Sox. Eight seasons, all of them fantastic. Two World Series, averaged like 4.2 war a year. Just a great, and I think they traded him, and I think they got back Jason Bay, I want to say. Just also like the Red Sox just had like another 40 homer ish guy in the lineup. Thanks, Manny. Um, number two, Randy Johnson, the big units contract with the Diamondbacks. He had four years there and he won the Cy Young every year. Just just fun to say out loud. Uh, and they won the World Series in 2001. So that's that's number two, but it doesn't hold a candle to my personal number one. It is Max Scherzer's seven year contract with the Washington Nationals, two Cy Youngs, a World Series title, Mad Max. Just so many great memories of watching him stalk around the mound. Uh, just a lot of my childhood was spent, uh, you know, watching Max Scherzer pitch. So um, that is my five through one. What do you think? I like it a lot. I mean, you, you start off with the bang with Nelson Cruz, by the way. And man, did he he thump that year. 
and you finish strong. I, hey, look, I like it. You know, I'd vote for you, but I also would vote for myself coming up. But um, the Scherzer one to, to talk to me about the moments. So did that make you believe in the Nationals more? Or did you become more of a Scherzer fan in that in that moment? Because I feel like people maybe knew a little bit about Scherzer, obviously, if you followed baseball, but he really took off when he came to the Nationals as far as his really the appreciation for him. It was kind of like a double whammy because on the 2014 Tigers, like I watched him go against like the Orioles and like I watched him that most of that year because the Tigers are really good. I'm like, it's just nice that like the Orioles don't have to deal with that in the AL anymore. And then he goes to the Nationals, who's who's always been like one in one A in terms of fandom. And it was funny because when Scherzer first signed with the Nationals in 15, I went to a Marlins game, a Marlins Nationals game in Miami. And I was just like wide eyed. I was like, like, there's nobody at this game. So I went down to the field and I like got his autograph. And if you remember, that was when uh, he almost threw a perfect game, but uh, Jose Tabata leaned in and caught the ball for hit by pitch. Oh, so yeah. It's, it's, that was like a week after that. And I was like, Max, between you and me, you can tell me. Like, you could, Jose Tabata leaned into that, right? And he was just like, no. And then he just got really quiet. And I was like, can I have a picture? And he didn't acknowledge me. And uh, <laughs> I, got a picture take, I got a picture taken of him just looking straight down. And I'm like, so that is, uh, I have the ball on my mantle over here, but. Um, is the, the photo one time, still is the photo right there next to the ball? No, that would be. It's a. It's not a great. It's not a great picture. It would have been better if you would have looked up. But that. That's the one and only time I'm ever going to meet Max Scherzer. And then, oh, I accidentally told him I loved him. That was the other thing. I meant to say I'm a big fan. I was just like, so hi, hi, Max. I love you. So to recap this, you, you got a ball signed. Mm-hmm. I do. He yeah. did. He didn't acknowledge, or he acknowledged slightly, but you might have pissed him off potentially but you also told him you loved him all in one uh, this, what a beautiful moment you know, it, I think it really the, was i think viewers need to see the photo at some point i, I if not I'll, you can send it to me yes and that's it's embarrassing because that was 2015 i think i was 19 it wasn't even like i was like a little kid i was just like i was an adult i told another grown man i loved him and then i asked for a picture of him and then i didn't get it but i still have the picture but um max i'm sorry that's not the interaction. That's not the way I saw the interaction going in my head. I thought it was gonna be so cool. I'd be like, hey, I'm a big fan. Can you get a picture with me? And it was just like, I love you. You know what? Actually, that kind of reminds me of, and this is like with childhood for me, was I, I watched SpongeBob SquarePants, and it's an episode of they're selling chocolates. And they said, you know, you really gotta woo the customer, Patrick. Oh. <laughs> and so they knock on the door and the guy opens it, and Patrick just goes, I love you. Guy slams the door. It's kind of <laughs> How I feel like it went for you. It's like, okay, I have something different, but you just couldn't write word out. Hey, I love it. You know what? I bet I bet he loves you back, Justin. I do. I, I, I hope he does. Yes. Uh, he's uh, he's very intimidating, especially if you say something that he doesn't like, because that whole week it was people telling him like the same thing that I said, where it's like, hey, that perfect game of yours, huh? That guy leaned into it, right? Like, I think by that point, he was so numb to everything where he was just like, no, he didn't lean in. No, I will not get a picture with you. No, I don't love you. So it was it was a sad day, bad day. <laughs> oh, it's a great day, Justin. It's a great day. Look forward to the photo soon. Um, should I should I roll out some of my picks here? Yes. Okay. All right. So I'm gonna start number five. I'm gonna go with Vlad Guerrero Sr. signed with the Angels. It was a five-year, $70 million deal. And the reason why it's at five is because just for the Angels, it's just hard for them to accomplish much. But what Vlad accomplished in the first four years was pretty incredible. He came the, the first year of the deal. He won the MVP. He was an all-star the first four years as well. He finished in the MVP voting the top three, three of the four years. And each year he won the Silver Slugger. So Vlad was balling. Just unfortunately, it wasn't to the point of winning anything of, of anything of magnitude for the team. Next for me, I'll go with with Randy Johnson, just like for you. Randy, I mean, what more can you say about Randy Johnson? I mean, inc- incredible numbers, incredible pitcher. You know, the, the big unit says it all. Number three for me is Max Scherzer because, again, talking about changing a, a team around, one, it brought the attention of Max Scherzer to the spotlight. Coming to D.C., and seeing that the the Nats obviously they had some other great players, but Scherzer then headlined, you know, those all stars, you know, with Bryce Harper. 
but in seeing what Scherzer's doing now, you're looking at you were seeing greatness really come about in in Washington, which was awesome. Um, so that was three, right? So number two, I am gonna go with Barry Bonds, and that's where his contract. I think we're talking, and this is what, what it's crazy to me. And this is again not if you believe in the the steroid part, you know, and whatnot. Let's just go off of value because steroids were allowed back then. It was six years, forty three million for his for his seasons 93 to 98 in San Francisco. And what did Barry Bonds do during that time? Well, he won the MVP his first year. It's an all-star every year. He won the gold glove. I mean, goodness, one, two, uh, four times during that span, you know? And also he just hit a ton of home runs, stole a ton of bases as well. 29, 29, 31, 40, 37. I mean, Barry Bonds was like the ultimate threat. Like, and that's the thing that stinks before all the steroid allegations, Barry Bonds was going to be a surefire hall of famer, regardless of it. He just might've not reached those, those big numbers, especially in the home run department. So that's number two. Number one is going to be Reggie Jackson. And the reason why I think it's just cool is that he signed, I believe a five year deal that was like $2 million or something like that. Right. So it's, it's, and back then, that was a ton of money, 2.9, I believe. But this is where I think the moment is the reason why I love it so much is because Reggie Jackson became Mr. October. He brought this different type of life to the Yankees, you know, and they won two World Series titles during that span. And that, I think, is what really kind of, in my mind, Reggie, Reggie Jackson helped change around this, the look and the face of, of what the New York Yankees look like. So that's why if I'm looking at a bigger picture, that's why I look at Reggie Jackson. Obviously, some of the other guys have way better numbers overall. But Mr. October coming up in the big moments with that deal, I got to go with Reggie Jackson. That's mine. I like that. A lot of – I think we had, we shared similar sentiments where it was like players that like brought you know prominence to the team that they went to. It's like – I don't know what – like if you want a World Series or just made them relevant more like nationally, it's like – I think that when you sign a big time free agent, that's one of the things that you hope to get, right? Where it's like you want more eyeballs, you want to go to the playoffs, you want you want to run the World Series. So if you can accomplish those things when you bring in somebody like a Reggie Jackson, like mission accomplished. Um, that's a great list. I also I found the picture if you're if you're interested. Yes. Let's see that. A little bit over. Yes. Beautiful. He, he didn't he didn't look up. He uh the if you notice the guy with the headset, he's looking at me like I'm crazy. Um, perfect. Yeah. So that's, it's beautiful. That was, Justin. Uh, Sept- oh, that was nine 11, 2015. That's tough. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was a sad day, bad day for, for your boy, but I still got a picture. Still counts. Yeah. Right. Shout, right. Out well, yeah, you, you, you shout, shout out Mad Max. And I think the other part to talk about, like I, I, why, why I love that you bringing up the idea of talking about free agents. It's perfect right now. And it's also, a reminder of, of how many, maybe this would be a different time, different time. Conversation are actually not of, of contracts. I should say that are not necessarily going to work out. And I think we're seeing right now, all these big names and these guys getting signed where people want to see the big deals getting done. Like I'd love to see Aaron judge, you know, even though it's for the Yankees, I'd love to see him play really well. I'd love to see all the guys that sign their big deals go out and maximize the contract. But the reality is it's a steep, it's a tall task to live up to it. So you really appreciate what some of these guys have done, um, you know, so far, especially in today's game, Justin, you know, team control and youth really kind of drives the game as far as, um, you know, success, not, not the big free agent deals. Or if you're the, if you're the Atlanta Braves, you just lock up all of your young talent when they're 22 years old. So that could be the other way you could do that. I mean, if if you really want to get some guys going, Kyle and Nate on three O take about the the conspiracy of what what is happening down in Atlanta, <laughs> because I don't know how they keep doing it, but man, is that incredible! It'd be and, I, and it, like how do they keep doing it? Well, that that could be for a different time. That could be that could be a whole another like serial like podcast breakdown like a like a mystery series of like yeah how how do they just get like their all star twenty one year old Michael Harris like the third just for like eight years and 
like 80 mil or something. That's that makes sense, right? I don't you know. know. Again, it it's it'll be a, it'll be a good docu series to it run. Wouldn't. It would be. Uh, well, oh, what were you say? No, that that was it. Just you know, law, I'm already thinking of the, what the trailer would look like. Mm, uh, yeah, a little, little soft piano intro. <laughs> um, I had one last thing for this week's episode. Uh, is our feel good story of the week, and it's brought to you by our friends over at the Original Fudge Kitchen. Uh, they are the official sponsor of Not For Long Media and the Breaking Bats podcast, the Original Fudge Kitchen is. It's a staple of the Jersey Shore. They have six locations in Cape May, Wildwood, North Wildwood, Stone Harbor, and Ocean City. They make all their fudge in store, guaranteeing a delicious product. So stop by if you're on the shore or down the shore, I should say. Let them know Not For Long Media sent you, or you can check them out at fudgekitchenswithans.com. So the feel-good story of this week is, again, it's going to be orioles theme, shocker. But one of my favorite players growing up was Chris Tillman because – from 2013 to 2016, I want to say, he had 14 wins average per year. Like, the Orioles didn't have, like, a true shut-him-down, lockdown ace during that time period, but they had Chris Tillman, who was pretty damn good. And, you know, a lot a lot of fond memories of watching Chris Tillman pitch. He's he's trying to come back. He's 34 years old. He had, just had shoulder surgery. He's uh, He's been throwing 88 to 90 on the gun uh, down in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. He's trying to throw for scouts soon, but... Um, it's been since 2018 since we've seen Chris in the majors, and that's been too long, frankly. So um, I just hope that I hope that he gets signed to, to some sort of maybe like a minor league deal to start. We we just need Chris Tillman back. It would be great, you know. Honestly, it was awesome to see one great story because as we all know, coming back and trying to to make something happen, it, it, it's challenging. It really is. But what I applaud so much is that you love something so much and you're passionate and you want to keep it going. You know, you can only have these opportunities for so long. And Chris wants to keep chasing to get back in there. And he's already had a great career, you know, came up to Baltimore when he was 21 years old in 2009. And he gave a lot. It was awesome. I think for him that he was a part of, the time with the Orioles where the team was is the best five year stretch that they had. I think that that's cool. And that's probably what, what really resonates with you, Justin, right? Yeah. There's there, if you're, if you played on those Orioles teams back then, you, there's like a certain level of nostalgia that like, I'll just root for these guys. Like no matter what, like if you're, if you're on those teams that brought me so much joy from 12 to 16, it's like, I'll, I'll go to war for you. So yeah, I, I'm a big, I'm a, and that's why I was so excited when they brought him back in 2018 even though his 2017 was really bad. I was like, you know what? Tillman's back. Everything's going to be fine. It wasn't fine. He had like a 10 ERA. Then he got cut. But again, just ride or die. I, I fight for my guys. And I'm going to fight for Chris Tillman to get back in the league any way I can. You see, that's loyalty right there, John. It is. And, and not only do uh, the people that follow the, the pod appreciate that, but I know Chris Tillman appreciates that as well as well. I met him at FanFest one year. It was uh it was a very fun time. I bought um this was back when FanFest was rocking at the Baltimore Convention Center. You could buy like those those big banners that would like hang on like light poles that were like four feet tall of like the players double sided. And so I got one of Chris Tillman and then I like had him sign it at like FanFest and like he just I like rolled it out on like a little autograph thing and he was like, What? He just looked so confused. I was like yeah, I just tried to pick the biggest, most awkward thing that you could sign. If you could just put your name like right on like your hat or something. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a big. Uh, I think I met him a couple times. That again, fond memories, nostalgia, throwbacks. It's the best. They, they, they you know what? What I'm starting to learn because I'm I'm a little older than you. Is is that as as the time goes, you you, you look back on those more and more. You want to stay as present as possible because life's going on right now, and you got to enjoy it because it moves on. But it is awesome to remember such such fond fond memories and times that you had, you know, back then. And and Tillman was a big part of that, especially for the Orioles community and and spe- especially for uh, the Justin community. You know, that's that's <laughs> first and foremost. Then here, it is. Yes, that was just. Yeah, if you think, yeah, because like you could like baseball is like such like you can just pinpoint a time in your life where you can just like think back to like what you were doing, like who was on like your team at that point, like where you were at in life, like graduating high school, college, like where like that summer I spent just watching every Orioles game and going to 30 of them. It's like, yeah, that's why baseball is the best. And that's why, you know, that five year Orioles stretch there, I can name you probably every obscure pitcher, hitter, whoever you want. That's just top of mind. 
you name it, you can remember it. I mean, it, and that was an exciting time. And I know Orioles fans are really hopeful that this next wins window that that's hopefully, you know, last year was, was, was the opening of it, you know, continues. So more people can, can have these memories, you know, moving forward. It's exciting. It, it really, really is. And uh, I, I wish, I wish Chris all the best. He's a, he's a great guy and um, would love to see him get another chance if, if that's what he's pursuing. It's the best. Uh, all right. Well, before we get out of here, we have uh, two last quick words. We want to give a shout out to friend of the podcast, Actions Over Words. It's an apparel company with the mission of encouraging people to use their actions instead of their words. They donate five bucks from every sale to charity. So go to actionsoverwords.com, actionsoverwordsapparel.com, and use N4L promo code 10% off. And then finally, the Not For Long Media family, a podcast is awesome. It's growing. Lots of great content. The Colin Thompson Show, uh, you know, Two Girls, One League, with, uh, and then Odd G's with Harry Mays and Jason Martinez or you know, the, the other fine, not for a lot for long media podcast you can enjoy if you so choose. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, man. Um, you know, first episode, Justin and Ryan didn't slip up the entire time. So I would like, like a small amount of kudos. Just, uh, I, I, I'm not going to clap to, well, I'll clap. Yeah. We, you know, we'll clap it that. up here, I you know? That. So, th- so that means if you want to run this back, I guess I can, I can come back. You passed the test for me, but Justin, you know, it, it's always fun, you know, us getting on and, and talking and, and uh, we can get each other going. And uh, I, I really appreciate being able to fill in. You know, you can't you can't fill Brian's shoes, but uh, but I appreciate you you letting me on to try to uh, hopefully keep keep people entertained while while Brian's getting his uh, getting everything set up. And and I know uh, people will love when he's back. Absolutely. And then you know who who knows? Maybe at the end of this, we'll we'll add you to the Justin Ayers podcast wall. We already have. We already have a, a fine selection of Brian O'Grady memorabilia, <laughs> such, such as this flag thing from Japan. And uh, yeah, who knows? Amazing this is just... photo. All <laughs> just... about that. <laughs> so we might have to add uh, a Ryan Ripken special. I'm not sure what that would be yet. I don't know if it would take the place of the Tyler Watson signed glove, but who knows? T- time will tell. I got a lot of work left to do before I can make it on that wall. So everyone stay tuned on that, but that's going to be one of my new goals. Absolutely. All right, we'll, uh, we'll see you guys next week. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music.